With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health. Aloha, folks, and welcome to UHA's Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Kanoi Gibson of Hi Now, and we'll be connecting the dots with some of UHA's doctors and other guests on various health and wellness topics and tips. Connecting the Dots starts now. And today we are talking about maintaining health with preventive care with Dr. Kathleen Kozak as UHA's medical director and a member of their Physician Advisory Council. Dr. Kozak works closely with UHA providers and in-house registered nurse care specialists to ensure members have access to quality health care services. Dr. Kozak, welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me. It is a new year, new you. That's what you were saying. <laughs> Absolutely. This is the time for people to start thinking about what their health goals are for 2021 and what ways they can start working on achieving them. Yeah, when we were talking preventive versus preventative, tomato, tomato, right? Tomato, tomato. It's trying to catch something before it happens. Okay, well, that's exactly what I was going to ask. You want to expound on that a little bit. Preventative care, what is that for those who are listening and don't really know? Well, preventative care is trying to find out if you have a particular condition before it becomes advanced. So it's kind of like knowing that your sugar is a little high before you get diabetes or finding out that you have a small colon polyp that you can remove that can help prevent or lower your risks for developing colon cancer. So it's those sorts of tests that are often recommended at various intervals of age that really try and help us to identify, do you have a problem and catch it either at an early stage or even find things that might be advanced that we wouldn't have found out until serious situations might have happened. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about it, is this something that would be within the scope of a primary care physician? Is that where we typically start to treat these kinds of things? Absolutely. So primary care would incorporate pediatricians for those who are below the age of 18, internal medicine doctors or family practice doctors for those who are adults, although family practice also takes care of children, and OBGYNs for those who are women of childbearing age. So all of those can be considered primary care doctors who would do preventative care. Okay. And obviously, this is a very interesting time in the medical world, but what trends are we seeing in, in primary care uh, regarding preventative care right now? Well, we've got to get folks back in to do what they need to do. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, a lot of people were told to stay home and they listened and they did. But we did see that there were slightly lower rates of people doing their routine mammograms or people doing their regular colon screening or people coming in to check their sugars, or if they do have a diagnosis of high blood pressure, coming in and having their blood pressure checked. So unfortunately, we saw that some of those things were kind of put by the wayside. For sometimes it was good reason. For others, it might have been just because people were busy or they just didn't feel comfortable going to their doctor's office. So now is the time to take a look at what's going on for 2021 and really try and work with your doctor and maybe use some of the new telemedicine modalities, which are pretty fascinating, fun. I mean, I enjoy doing it as a doctor, and I know some patients have really done well with that. So find ways to utilize technology and leverage that to help people to really achieve the goals they want to work on for health. Yeah, you know, I did some of those telemedicine visits, and if you really think about it, I mean, when you go to your, your primary care physician, it really is just a conversation typically until, you know, you have to do some more examinations or something, but it's kind of the same thing, right? 
It can be. In fact, you know, once everything was shut down last March due to the pandemic, a lot of folks were told, don't come to the office unless you really have to. We will do a whole bunch of different things. So we were doing telephone visits and doing discussion on labs over the phone. We started doing a lot of video visits. Everybody got cameras or used their cell phone to do that to really try and find ways to provide excellent quality, high level of care in a new modality that didn't require somebody physically coming to an office because a lot of stuff can be handled in some other modality or some other mechanism. And the good news is we've all now, after all these months, become really adaptable and figured out how to make it work quite well. Right. Do you think that that's something that will continue into the future? I mean, we've kind of taking the positives of this pandemic and moving forward with it. I do, actually. I sort of feel like the pandemic accelerated the use of telemedicine like 10 years. Yeah. I mean, everybody still had, it wasn't like a technology creation. We all had this uh, as, as an option, but we didn't really use it. And part of that had to do with regulations on who could use it and bill for it for insurance companies. But part of it just had to do with a lack of comfort level. And once everybody got over that hurdle, or a lot of people did, then we actually became much more comfortable with it. There are some patients that I've been able to see using telemedicine or using video platforms that actually now I get to see inside their home. I get to see what challenges might be there. When they talk about getting up and, you know, if somebody is on a walker and I see them walk around their apartment, you can see there's a lot of stuff in the way. So it's almost a window into somebody's world. I sort of talk about it like, you know, way back, I don't know, maybe 100 years ago, doctors did a home visit. This is a return to the home visit, oh. just using technology. I like that. Okay. Well, going back to the preventative care, how, how can this really truly help somebody in the long run? Well, you know, when you think about it, even for something really serious, we always talk about cancer being caught early as opposed to when it's spread. So when we think about other medical conditions, high blood pressure detected early can be treated. It doesn't always have to require medication. But if you find it at the beginning and you find a way to help reverse somebody's course towards whatever they're doing, whether it be too much salt in their diet or for diabetes, too much sugar or too much cholesterol, you could really help them prevent problems like heart attacks and strokes. Mm -hmm. The main causes of chronic kidney disease and dialysis are diabetes and high blood pressure. And those are two conditions that really could be treated very well if you caught it early and you avoided the progression of the damage that occurs to the organs in the body that leads to the kidney problems. So it really can be life-changing. I know you're mentioning this at this time, and, and from the interviews that I've done with doctors, it seems to, that Hawaii has a really high rate of those things. Why is that? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we have a very high rate of diabetes in certain populations. And so when you look at the statistics overall, it seems like the island has more diabetes than anywhere else, but it's even higher in certain ethnic predisposition or, or populations. We know that there's genetic issues for that. We also know that there are some other contributing factors. Medicine's now looking at something called social determinants of health. That's people's finances, their ability to find and access healthy food. If you don't have a nearby grocery store or garden, can you eat salad? It's going to be much more difficult if you can't afford to buy things that are healthier for you. So we're looking at all of these things and how they affect the diagnosis of certain medical conditions because we think there might be some ethnic predispositions, there may be some genetic ones, but there may also be some social reasons why some people will have a worse health outcome if they live in certain parts of the island than if they live in other parts. 
efforts. And so we're trying to overcome that by addressing some of those needs, but it's not easy to do. Yeah. Well, speaking of addressing these needs, what programs are available for people who might have a higher risk, you know, for chronic uh, and or life-threatening diseases? You know, the first thing I would say is find out, get checked up. Make sure that if you if you do have borderline blood sugar issues, that you start working on that. Almost all insurances cover for nutrition counseling. There's also a lot of information available on the internet. And I've printed down a lot of stuff for a lot of my patients that might be specific to a disease that they could get so they can learn more about it. So these days, the educational resources are out there, either through your doctor's office or through the internet. Public libraries have computers available. You can do research on the internet and you can have friends or family help you out with that. There's also other things that are available. You know, if you take a lot of medications, if you've ever gone to the pharmacy and picked them up, the pharmacist will go through those with you and will explain the different medicines and side effects and interactions. So taking the time to spend with a pharmacist is a very valuable use of time. You know, talking with your local provider, your local doctor about what your medical conditions are and understanding which medicine is for which condition. That's another opportunity. Understanding what your family history is. So much of what we see, we see run in families. And if you understand where your family risks are, you can explain those to your doctor and that may change some of the screening that they do. I know if there's a family history of colon cancer in a direct relative, like a brother or a sister or a mother or father below certain ages, that means you start your colon screening younger than everyone else. So knowing that your family history is important can help your, your provider to give you the most accurate information to help yourself as well. Yeah. You know, we're in a very stressful time. I mean, we have been for the past year. How much of a role does stress play in these kinds of illnesses? I think underlying almost everything yeah. is stress. And it's one of those things that's so difficult to address because how do you rate stress? Everyone experiences it differently. There's not really any way to, you can't do a blood test for stress. You can't do some other type of measurable test. It's more of a subjective feeling and how people express it is different for different folks. But I really do think that stress causes a lot of us to do things like not choose the healthiest foods, not take the time to exercise. People here in Hawaii just to live may have two or three jobs and they don't have the time to take to take care of themselves because financially they can't afford to. So I think that level of stress, whether it be emotional stress, financial stress, physical stress, all of that has an impact on every single one of our health conditions. And learning how to manage that stress and finding ways that you can get some help when you need it is critical to making sure that you can really be as healthy as possible. Do you have any suggestions on how to manage the stress? I'm asking for myself, by the way. Asking oh, for I ask for me too. <laughs> you know, it's funny sometimes, I mean, even myself, I kind of have to take a step back and say, all right, so, you know, if I'm driving and I'm trying to get to work, what's the worst case scenario if I'm five or 10 minutes late? Nobody's going to die from that. Mm -hmm. If I'm a little late and I'm going to an office and, and I miss five or 10 minutes of a meeting... I'm not going to get fired for that. So rather than putting myself at risk by driving like a maniac, which I have done, <laughs> you know, I really just need to take some deep breaths. It's amazing how effective something as simple as breathing can be. Right. Our body has this natural system where if we just work on taking some good, deep cleansing breaths, it lowers the tension in the arteries. It lowers our heart rate. It lowers our our 
energy-related fight-or-flight system and just kind of allows the body to just step down a few notches and relax. That's why when people get stressed, you hear about hyperventilating, they're breathing too fast. The opposite of that helps with stress, so the deep breaths can be really helpful. Plus also considering that if you manage your stress well, you are teaching your kids, your loved ones, and everyone else around you to do the same. Right. I've walked into situations in my office where if I'm super stressed, my staff feels it immediately, and then they get stressed. Mm-hmm. And then they feel on edge because I'm on edge because maybe I'm late or I have somewhere I need to be or something's going on or too many phone calls. And then the whole day kind of snowballs. So learning how to manage it internally, even if it's just deep breathing, can really help people as they interact with everyone else in the community. Yeah, and that goes for you married folk out there too. <laughs> I know when I walk into a room and if I have anxiety, it, it does. It it goes off into my husband, into my children, and, and then the rest of the house is chaotic. And speaking of the house being chaotic, I have also found that getting rid of things, much like that dirty air in you that you need to kind of exhale out, I feel like simplifying your home a little bit, getting rid of the clutter, it, it really does help to minimize that chaos. Absolutely. I am so guilty of that. (laughs) I have to say, truthfully, I am guilty as charged. And it's funny because sometimes I feel like if I could just move, I wouldn't bring any of this stuff. Exactly. And then I wouldn't have all this clutter. And yet I know that, you know, I had a, uh, I had a flood a couple of, about a year and a half ago in the downstairs of my house. And so I had to get rid of a lot of stuff that was affected by the flood. And it was actually, I mean, at first I was devastated. I'm like, I have to get rid of all this stuff. And afterwards I'm like, well, this looks kind of (laughs) nice. I mean, maybe this was a therapeutic flood. I wonder if I should flood my closet and maybe go through (laughs) that too. So it's amazing. But often our external world is symbolic of our internal world. And so if you look around your house and see that there's a lot of clutter and a lot of stuff that doesn't belong where it is, and you're surrounded by half-done projects everywhere, and that's basically me describing my desk, <laughs> basically, that's what's going on in your head. Yeah. And that's what's going on in your world. So if you want to fix what's going on up in your mind, sometimes the first step is to fix what's going on out there in your environment. Mm. And it can help you because then instead of walking into the chaos of your desk where nothing is where it belongs, you walk into the open space of a clear desk. And that can lead you to have a little bit more of a clear mind. I like that. Okay. Well, getting back to some of the, you know, we talk about, you've got to take your medications. You've got to have your medications on hand. Now, some people are also touting supplements, you know, making sure that you're taking these supplements. We've got to be careful with those things though, mixing supplements, medications. What advice do you have on that? Google it. You know, that's really my advice is that there are some great supplements out there that do a lot of good, but some of them don't do well with blood pressure medicine or diabetes medicine or cholesterol medicine. And those are three very common conditions for a lot of folks. So before you start taking a new supplement, take a look to see if there's any research on combining it with your current medicines. And if you have a question, ask. Ask your pharmacist where you get your prescriptions from. Ask your doctor. They can also have, there's resources and natural health and herbal supplement databases out there. They can check for you. But make sure that before you just start taking something, you check it out. I mean, I've walked through GNC and I see the ads and I see the little things that say, if you want to feel like your brain is processing quicker, try this. If you want longer, healthier hair, try this. I mean, I would take one of every single one of those if I thought it was going to happen. So you really have to be careful because if you're on any other medicines, sometimes it's just that the medicine you're on does something in the processing with your liver 
and the supplement blocks that. And as much as you think it's going to be helpful for you, it may not. So just make sure that you check before you start using it. And it, it does require asking a professional or looking it up yourself to make sure that that supplement is safe. Plus, you also have to know if you're actually getting the supplement and what's on that bottle. Is that what's inside? Mm-hmm. So there are some particular checks that are done. You know, supplements are not regulated by the FDA. They are not tested for purity. But there are some purity testing companies out there that kind of put a stamp on it to say, we've tested it. We we believe what's in here is correct. So making sure that you're getting it from a reputable place and you check it with your other medicines. You would be amazed at how many folks think that once their blood pressure is controlled on medicine, it's time to stop the medicine. Mm. And then they take supplements or, or take some other something for it. And that's so not the case. So in addition to to being careful with supplements, knowing your medications, having enough of them, but checking with your doctor before you stop them. Because in a lot of situations, you know, your cholesterol might be controlled because you're on the medicine, not because you've reached the point where you don't need it anymore. So do check with your providers to make sure before you stop something that that's the correct thing to do, that it's not going to interfere with your supplements and lowering the dose or stopping and it's not going to cause you any adverse health consequences. Medications are critical. If you're on them, you have to know what to do when you missed a dose, if you can double up the next day, what to do if you're taking some other medication with it, empty stomach, full stomach, you kind of really have to be educated about that. And that's a good way to prevent having any sort of consequences where that might require emergency medical attention because you mix things up or you skipped something that you shouldn't have. Well, the big news, of course, uh, the COVID vaccines continuing to roll into the state. You gave us a lot of hope on that the last time you were here. What about the other vaccines, though, that, you know, like we've got the shingle shot, the flu shot. What are your thoughts on those things? Get them. Yeah. I mean, I, I do every year. I get a flu shot every year because as as a healthcare provider, it would be very irresponsible of me to get the flu from one patient and then give it to another patient because that's not what I should be doing. So, you know, I get a flu shot every year. Anybody who's dealing with the public ought to do the same. If you live with someone who's older, you really want to protect that person, so don't bring home the flu to them either. There's other vaccines out there. You know, I encourage people in the beginning of the year, take a look. See if you're up to date. When was your last tetanus shot? You know, a lot of times people are excited. They want to go out. They want to enjoy going to the beach or going for a hike. And these are some activities that might be safe to do because outdoors is generally safer than indoors with coronavirus. But you don't want to have to go to the hospital after that because you slipped and fell and got a cut and you didn't have a tetanus shot. So look for tetanus updates if you need them. Make sure you have all of your other vaccinations. Shingles is a shot that has come out that is really exciting. The first one came out about 10 years ago. The shingle shot now has only been out for a couple of years, but it's actually, if you get both shots, there's one and there's a booster a few months later, it gives you like upwards of 98% protection against shingles for life. And for any of us who had chicken pox when we were younger, we are at risk for getting shingles. And stress, as we talked about earlier, often increases our risk. I'm surprised I haven't gotten shingles yet. Right. And I don't want to say that because now guess what's going to happen. The shingles vaccine is out there and it's recommended for anyone over the age of 50 or anyone younger than that with certain medical conditions. So, you know, do take an inventory of what vaccinations you've had and make sure you talk with your provider to update those before you have a problem and then wish that you had done it before. Well, you're giving us a lot of really great advice. If you were to narrow it down, if you have 
some tips for us to be the strongest, best self in 2021, what would that be? You know, the first thing would be take a look and do your own personal history. Do you exercise enough? Are you sleeping enough? Are you getting extremely stressed? Take a look and do an inventory of yourself and your lifestyle. Then think of your family. What are the family risks that you might know of? Your uncle just got cancer or your auntie has diabetes. Make sure you know what those are. Take a look and see if there are any medications that you're on that you have questions about, or if you're taking any supplements, review it with your provider. Make sure you go in and talk with your doctor about having an overall physical and catching up with all those preventative care issues, mammography, colon screening, making sure if you're, if you're a parent that your kids have all of their vaccinations and they have all of their treatment that they need provided. And last but not least, work on a plan. If you have a goal for the year, how many of us, myself included, say this year I'm going to eat better and exercise more and lose weight, really put that down and write it down. Share it with your loved ones so that they can help you on this journey. And that way you can all work on it together. Make sure that you're not doing things that you shouldn't. Smoking, there's just no reason to do it. There's no reason for some of these other things that we often find ourselves doing. But kind of set yourself some goals to really help try and figure out what are your health priorities? What can you do to keep yourself as healthy as possible? Because honestly, that's the best way that you can take care of your loved ones. We haven't been on airplanes recently, but the safety, the safety video on airplanes shows how you need to put on your own oxygen mask before you put it on other people. And that's one of those things I remind people, you got to really work on yourself. You'll be in a much better position to help your whole entire family if you're healthy than if you're the one that needs all the help from everyone else. So really take inventory, set some goals, work with your providers, know what's going on in your own health status and, and do what you can to stay as healthy as possible for this entire year. Great advice. And of course, driving home again, it is safe, relatively safe to go to the doctor to get these screenings, to get this stuff done. And it's really, really important to do so, right? It is. Honestly, we haven't seen anybody get coronavirus from going to see their doctor. We've seen people get it from community gatherings, from situations, unfortunately, you know, if people are in the hospital for prolonged periods. But just going in to see your doctor in the clinic, there's temperature screen, doctors are wearing personal protective equipment and masks, the staff were all trained on how to handle these sorts of situations. So you really don't have to fear doing your preventative care. But if you still do, consider some of the telemedicine opportunities. If you're not sure you want to go in to see your doctor, you can do a televisit and you can decide what are my goals, what do I need to work on. You can go to the lab separate from the hospital and do your blood tests for screening, cholesterol, sugar, anything you need, and review that with your doctor on the phone. So if you really don't feel comfortable going in, there's still options for you. Essentially, there's no excuses. Okay, no excuses, everybody. Dr. Kozak, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Happy to be here. All right, you're listening to Connecting the Dots on Maintaining Health with Preventative Care. Connecting the Dots is a UHA-sponsored podcast. With COVID-19 around, telehealth lets you see your physician while keeping you safe at home. If you have questions, we're here to help. Stay safe, take care of each other, and use telehealth. We're UHA Health. 